Hey everybody, welcome back to The Takeaway Show. I'm your host, Daniel Messersmith. Today we have a very special guest, Letitia Wheeler, author of the book Half Breed. But before we get into the interview, I wanted to take a moment just to talk about the incident in Allen, Texas. Everyone was heartbroken around the world to learn of an unfortunate tragedy, a tragic shooting that happened in Allen, Texas at the Outlet Mall. And I don't want to focus too much on the death and the, the shooter, but I do want to just use this time to say my heart, my prayers, my love, my sympathies are going out to the families. And that during this time, let's not use it to choose sides, start an uproar about gun rights and, and bearing arms and sh- but let's just focus on being there and loving other people. Whether their victims have been a victim or not, it's about loving other people and being there to support them. So I want to just take this time to say that all of my love, all of my prayers, all of my thoughts are going out to the victims, to the law enforcement, first responders, everyone who was involved, the innocent families who didn't deserve this. My heart breaks in two for you. Allen is close to home for me because I do live in Texas, and I have family that live in Allen. I go to church in Carrollton and McKinney, Texas. So I've been to Allen, Texas. I've been to the malls that where this happened. I can't even wrap my head around just this fear and, and what was going through their minds at the time. But I do know that God loves you no matter what. And despite these horrible tragedies that happen in our life, Despite these horrible events that we can't control, we can love. We can choose to love. We can choose to uplift. We can choose to comfort the brokenhearted. And instead of using this time to divide, which we will talk a lot about today, use this time to unite and come together and be one. No matter race, no matter political parties we support, no matter what we think about the situation and think about it as a whole and what our take is and our stances on it, what we believe, one thing that can unite us all together is love and the love of God and being there and serving and opening our arms and opening our, our hearts to accept other people and accept those that are hurting, especially by these horrible tragedies, especially when it involves young children who are innocent. So I wanted to take this time to say and express my deepest sympathies and deepest condolences to the family and everyone involved in the situation. It's terrible. It's unfortunate. And we hope going forward, we learn from these lessons and we learn that while we can't control and we can't count the days, we can't give a exact time these things can happen, we can hug the ones closest to us. We can say I love you and never wear it out. And we can appreciate the people around us because we're never promised tomorrow, unfortunately. But we have right now. If you're under the sound of my voice, you have right now to love those around you and to appreciate those around you and to not take them for granted. I love you all so much. Thank you for always supporting and listening. And I hope you enjoy the episode today. We have so much to talk about. It's going to be uplifting. We're going to tackle a lot together. And we're going to answer some really tough questions and tackle a tough topic of division and unity when it comes to ethnic backgrounds 
and how we can approach that in a better way. I love you all. And again, thank you for listening. Hello, hello. Can you hear me? Hang on I can hear you. It's not coming through here on my Bluetooth. Hang on one second. Can you hear me? I can hear you great. How about me? I can hear you great. I was hoping it would connect to my Bluetooth speaker, but it's not doing it at all. Um, thank you for doing this. Uh, Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. How, how have you been? It's been so long. Oh, my goodness. Okay. You were like a teenager in what, like high school, maybe, barely, maybe middle school? I know that, yes. So I was about a freshman slash sophomore when we, uh, our paths crossed. And I, I, I think that was the last time that I actually saw you guys is um, we moved when I was just entering my senior year of high school. Uh, we wow. moved from Denison, okay, Texas. Denison, yeah. You yeah. Moved out to Denison, right? Yes, ma'am. Yeah. Wow, that's so crazy. So now um, my two boys, who would have been just tiny when you last saw us, my oldest is now a freshman and he finishing. Today is his last day of college, freshman year in college. So I'm picking him up from school tomorrow in Maryland. And then my baby um, is finishing up his junior year in high school, is about to be a senior in high school. Wow. So that just shows how old you are. I am very old. Yeah. 20, I'll be 25 the 20th. Yeah. Daniel. Oh my goodness. I can't even imagine so much of sure has happened in 10 years. You know, nine. wrapping my head around it, it is, yeah, a, a lot. Uh, but so I. You're married and have a child. Is that right? Uh, so, yes. Yeah, so, um, I did get married. We've been married for six years, and, and we had a son at, in 2018, but unfortunately, we did lose him. Yeah, so, but it is, it's part of my uh, my story, my testimony, and I, to this I day, know. I still share it, and um, yeah, so. so. Good, good. Wow, well, that's amazing. I'm so proud of you. Oh, thank you. Uh, I, I'm proud of you too. On congratulations on your book. I when I first saw that you wrote a book, I was like, I know that lady. <laughs> um, but that that's so awesome. Um, Thank you. What? So I mean, just what? What inspired you to write the book? Was it you just wanted to tell your story? You just felt that that you know your God was moving on you to share your story and that topic. And well, that's a really great question, and the answer is. No. Oh, okay. You know, it's so funny. It's the total, it, I feel like it's the total opposite. I feel like, um, you know, a lot of times when people write books, they know what they're going to write about. They have a pretty good idea. I, on the other hand, was, it was uh, 2018. And I don't know about you, but the beginning of every year, Daniel, I typically stop and I like pray what's like, what's my word this year? You know, like, God, what's my word this year? What do you want me to accomplish this year? 
and my birthday is January 9th. So I typically spend like that first beginning of January between my birthday, between the new year, you know, reflecting on last year and what, you know, what's before me this coming year. And this may sound crazy. And I know there's, you know, um, you know, believers listening to this, but it may still sound crazy that I really believe that I heard the Lord tell me when, as I was inquiring, okay, you know, what's my word this year and what should I, you know, do? I, I, I felt like I heard write a book, but here's the deal, Daniel. I had no idea what the book would be about nothing. I just heard, I felt like I heard in my heart to write a book. Mm -hmm. And so I thought that was really crazy because a part of my stories, I moved around a lot growing up. And in my sophomore English class, I walked into my class and my paper was being used as the example for the day of how not to write a paper. So that really crippled me for honestly 25 years of, you know, having the fear of writing, speaking, presenting in front of a crowd of people because of that moment. And um, so when I heard that, I said, God, are you kidding me? Like really me? <laughs> and I didn't know again what it was going to be about, but um, I heard what I heard was research the Samaritan people. And really it's, it was the scripture within the, the word that, that it's a you know story of how the bloodline of the Samaritan people were created and they were created through the division of the Jewish people as they were taken into captivity by the Assyrians. And uh, it ended up being, you know, a divided people group, whether it was, you know, culturally, ethnically, racially, politically, however you want to put it, right? right? It was just people group against each other, finding ways to be divided and to hate one another, to judge each other, to even oppress each other. And as I researched that and wrote what I felt like the Lord wanted me to write about, and then eventually add my own personal story in there as being someone who was biracial, it was evident to me when I was done, not during, but when I was done with it, when I felt like, okay, I'm done. There's nothing else to write. I'm not getting any more downloads from heaven. What, what the book came to be was the answer to reconciliation, you know, reconciling relationship, whether it was racially, politically, socially, you know, financially, whatever you want to put it, humanity, it's humanity reconciliation. And I was blown away because I did not set out to write that book at all. I would have ran away from it if I could have. Wow. That's it's, how <laughs> it sounds like, yeah, I mean, it sounds like a really big giant, you know, <laughs> when you think about it. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> it was. Well, that's and awesome. Yeah. Uh, and then you may come to, you know, remember that now I told you this started in 2018. Mm -hmm. I published it in 2019. And we all know what happened in 2020. Right. You know, the world like imploded on itself. And so it was interesting that I had written this book that I, you know, I'm thinking, what in the world? I can't believe I wrote this. Why, why did I write this? And then 2020 came where, you know, everyone was in, in essence in a position of what do we do in this very divided world? And the name of the book was or is Half Breed Finding Unity in a Divided World. So only God, only God could set someone up like that, right? It's it shows and it proves that you know His timing is above all else, you know, Absolutely. perfect. You know, He knows Absolutely. what He's doing. You know, he does. very much so. Um, Absolutely. But yeah, and 
you know, with the, I got to read the book and it's so, it's perfectly said on what we're kind of enduring today with, you know, everybody has opinions. Everybody has this, my side is better than your side kind of situation. And even if it's down to the very sports team, you know, and how, how did you go about, like, I know you said that you didn't even plan on writing this book. How did you even go about with now knowing what it was about reconciliation? How did you approach that topic, you know, just starting out, you know, just, you know, where'd you begin, I guess? <clears throat> yeah, that's a great question, too. And, and this, too, is going to blow your mind. And again, this is going to tie in, I think, to a question you asked me a little bit later. So hopefully I remember this is what I'm trying to connect it to is I, I didn't know really at the time that's what it was going to be about. But as it was unraveling, it became clear to me. And ironically, or coincidentally, which actually is not a word in the Hebrew language, um, so we know nothing is coincidental, right? Right. Is that our senior pastor, and you may remember this, Dan, you remember Mike Hayes, Pastor Mike Hayes. My favorite pastor and of all. My favorite pastor of the world as well. And... In 2017, he started to speak about reconciliation, and that was really the first time I heard that. And he was really encouraging his body, his church body, who is, you know, has the most diverse church body, you know, probably in all of Texas, right? Yes, ma'am. Maybe in the country, and you know, represented by every nation and, and, and people group. And he was he was encouraging everyone to become reconcilers because that is what the Bible recommends us to do is that we now carry the ministry of reconciliation. Ultimately, one, we're now reconciled with God. Now we need to be reconciled with one another. And so he started to speak this new language that I hadn't heard. And I felt like it was igniting something inside of me. So that's really probably where it began because I started to accept without knowing this assignment of, yes, I want to be a reconciler. I want to bridge people. I want to bridge the gap. And what I didn't realize is that you know, ultimately my life story is just that. That's, you know, just through my, my, my DNA. My mother is white. My dad is black. I went to 15 different schools and three different politically, socially, um, financially, geographically different states. And I went to school with all white, all black, with Middle Eastern, with Asian. I had best friends from every people group you can name um, up until my adult years. And so without even realizing it, God had given me really like this ministry of reconciliation, even just down to my life experiences. But I, I never wanted, I never entered into conversation around it. I just, it was just how I was living. You know, I didn't have a choice. You know, I, I went to my white grandmother's house for the holidays and I loved her and we ate her food and we sang her music. And I went to my black grandmother's house for Thanksgiving and we ate her food and we sang her music. And I loved it because they were my family. So down to my DNA, I knew what it was like to walk into different ethnic homes and people groups and love them and find ways to connect with them, even if they were different or looked different than me or voted differently than me. Right. Right. And so, um, I, I, that's how it began. And this is also really crazy. A part of the story is once I was done writing the book, Daniel, I heard a man speak on a podcast that I'd never heard of. A friend sent it to me and the very things he was speaking about on the podcast was identical to what I had written in the book that I had not told one person about yet. So I went to find him 
and he happened to live in Dallas. And he happened to tell me, this is who my publisher is. This is what my book is about. And guess what? I know your senior pastor, Mike Hayes, and the book he just published was we use the same publisher. And so again, God just directed my steps, even down to who I was going to use to publish my book. And it was the, there were already people going before me who were already on this reconciliation path that I didn't even know about, but God directed me to them. And I didn't even know how to get a hold of them, but he opened the door. Again, it's all crazy. It's amazing. <laughs> well, you know, when, when, he, when God has a word and he has a message that he, he wants sent, he makes sure doors open in the right frame and in the right time. That's right. You know, That's for that right. message to get sent, yeah. Uh, yeah. see it over and over again in the Bible. So, um, so maybe with some people who haven't read your book and maybe kind of thinking about reading it or very intrigued by now in our conversation. If they're not intrigued by now, I don't know why they wouldn't. Um, <laughs> what? Run. Right. Yeah. Um, what? What? Well, I guess one of the questions I sent you was. Um, how can your book shed light on these situations we're, we're coming upon, these roadblocks we're hitting, and they're becoming so much more relevant and so much more heavier? And what ways can your book uh, shed that light and, and help people navigate those uh, those waters when it comes to ethnic and, and biases and, and race? Yeah, great question. You know, part of my story that... I talk about is, you know, the ability to forgive, walk through offenses, you know, understanding having the value of relationships of people who look different than you, right? And that all sounds like very easy things, but it's really hard to do. And the reality is that we all have our own biases. And I think the, with the world that we live in, as it is becoming more and more um, it exposed maybe the word or more people are more aware of the conversation. It also can become a little fearful because those of us, and I say us because I include myself as an imperfect human, you know, we all have our own biases, right? And our own assumptions that we make about people or people groups. You know, you can see a type of food and you, you make an assumption as to what ethnic group or what culture eats that, right? Or you may make a joke about who can and can't drive. Or exactly. You may, exactly, yeah. <laughs> right? You make an assumption of, you know, what type of education level that certain groups may achieve or, or um, you know, backgrounds or, I'm sorry, like careers and so, and they're not necessarily trying to be negative or prejudiced. They're just assumptions. And some of it's based on your experiences and some of them are just based on, you know, you know, they are prejudices or assumptions, right? And I think what what's happened too in our culture is now that there's a lot of shame and there's not maybe even a safe place to interact with people that are different than you and just simply ask the questions and understand, tell me a little bit more about your culture and, and tell me why do people within your community do this or say that, or, you know, and, and versus, you know, making your own assumptions and all, or assume uh, there isn't any prejudices anymore, you know? And I think it's important that we all recognize that we all have our own ignorances, but then also to find a safe space in relationships where you can ask questions that you don't know much about people of, of the different of different cultures and 
that is, I think, a, a positive, I don't want to say a positive spin, but maybe my perspective that I have brought that I've received a, a ton of positive feedback from, you know, whether it's book reviews or in-person reviews, um, is that, wow, you really turn this subject into like a really positive topic, whereas most times or many times it feels so negative or so uh, scary or I'm too fearful to ask questions or that I'll be condemned. And I think it's really important that none of us are perfect. And and my, the fortune, the, the blessing I've had, Daniel, is that I have lived in so many places growing up and I've interacted with so many different people groups Therefore, I'm just a little bit more knowledgeable of different differing people groups and backgrounds and taste buds and accents and, you know, activities and thought processes. But if I wasn't around all that, I wouldn't know those things. And that's why it's important for us to you know, in, in, intentionally engage in relationships of people that look different than you and not to make the assumptions, but then also create a safe space for someone to ask you questions about yourself and your community and your people group and your background as well. Right. Exactly. And, yeah. You know, like you said, you know, asking those questions, I think it's becoming more and more uh, difficult to even want to ask questions. Cause I think there's a sense of, we have to kind of humble ourselves, set aside our pride, you know, as humans, we want to be the first to know, we want to be the, the assumptions we, we want to hope to be right. It's kind of a shot in the dark, though, when it comes to this, you know, and, and having these conversations like we're having more of that needs to happen than, you know, blindly, you know, stepping into a situation or into a conversation where we aren't educated or we aren't skilled. Uh, like you said, you 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 are around all kinds of different backgrounds. You, you grew up with it for those people who didn't those are the people that need to try a little bit harder to understand and show a little bit more sympathy. Maybe not sympathy, but empathy towards, you know, other people that are different from them, because let's be, you know, be honest, everybody's different. I'm different. My wife's different than me. You're different than I am. So it's all about learning each other and setting aside our pride. But, you know, pride is, <laughs> it's a big one today, you know. It's a big one, absolutely. And I think the important thing is forming relationship with people that are different than you, because it brings value to your life. Not because you want to know, well, why do you guys do that, and why do you guys say that, and why do you guys talk like that, why do you guys think like that, why do you vote like that? That's not a real relationship, right? Yeah, Once a- you form a relationship with someone, then it, it gives you the the the. Um, uh, the credibility then to ask those deep questions, just like any relationship on, um, you know, the first day you don't go deep and ask them about their most personal business and life experiences, right? You earn the right to do that over time because you show that you love that person um, because they're a person, right. not because, Hey, I, I need a, I need a friend. I need a Hispanic friend and I need an Asian friend and I need a black friend. I need a white friend. So I'm going to befriend you and then ask you those deep questions. It's no, I, I, my life, is not as valuable without those differing perspectives and um, values. And my life is, you know, richer because of, of my rich and dynamic relationships. And then you, you open the door to asking those questions. So I think, you know, it's, again, it starts with relationships first. Exactly. And, and to people maybe listening that are struggling, you know, in your book, I, I read that you, you did struggle with, you know, kind of juggling all of those different, uh, 
you know, backgrounds and, and, and the different transitions, maybe somebody that's in your situation, what could you advice you could provide them to kind of be able to embrace all of that as a whole and use it going forward? What could you share with them? Yeah, you know, it's interesting that, you know, when I was growing up, Daniel, and I moved around a lot, and, you know, a lot of times, majority of the time, I was totally different than everyone else. Because I'm also an 80s child, and there were not a lot of biracial couples in the 80s. And so when I lived in Seattle, Washington, I was typically the only person of color, you know, so I represented the black culture. And when I lived in Texas, in Houston, specifically in the inner city, uh, more urban areas, I was really the lightest person and I, you know, was almost considered white. And so, you know, and then Louisiana was totally different. I lived among Creole people who were the same color as myself, but they considered themselves black. And because my mother was white, they were shocked by that because it was, um, you know, risque to have interracial couples in the 90s in Louisiana, which was insane to me because that had been accepted in the Pacific Northwest since the 70s. And so it was always this, you know, this cultural shock wherever I went, depending on, you know, the color of my skin or how I spoke or how I didn't speak. And I lived in Texas. And so I had a country accent and talked about hunting dogs. And then I moved to Pacific Northwest and was made fun of that I had a country accent. And then I, you know, spoke with less of a country accent and uh, now spoke like I, like a valley girl from the West Coast and moved to Lake Charles, Louisiana. And they said I made fun of, made fun of how I spoke because they said I spoke too proper. And so it was interesting, it was, you know, I was always just, you know, an outlier and I hated it. I hated it growing up. And then it wasn't until really, and, and it was before that, but I'll be honest with you, when I sat down to write this book and really had a chance to dive in and understand the rich experiences that I was given, that were gifted to me, and that gave me really a key to unlock doors that were locked to some of my counterparts uh, because I was biracial. You know, that I, I had a key to unlock a door to speak to my Caucasian friends because of my experience and I'm half Caucasian and I had a had a key to unlock doors to my African-American friends because I'm half African-American and, um, and you know, and, and the different other experience, life experience that I have as well, um, or that, you know, I had lived in very humbling home experiences and I had also lived in more fluent home experiences. And so it gave me a door, an opportunity to walk through those doors and speak to people in those communities as well. I hated it growing up, but wow, looking at it now, it was an absolute gift from God that he allowed me to walk through all those different experiences and doors so that it gave me the credibility to be in a place now to be a bridge maker, no matter if you're black, white, rich or poor, Jew, Gentile, right? Exactly. Democrat, Republican, it, it, it's a gift. It's his gift, and that's why I play on use the play on word, which is a little um, controversial, is half-breed, because half-breed is a term that was a racial slur used for uh, biracial people, but it was also a racial slur in the Bible that was used for the, um, for the Samaritan people, because they weren't purebred in essence. Right. They were also biracial. And so this you know half-breed life experience, but the reality is we all can relate to some type of half-breed experience, whether we've had everything or we've had nothing. Exactly. Or we've, you know, we've lived on the left side of the side of the tracks or the right side of the tracks. We all can probably identify with 
both sides of the spectrum to some degree. Um, and so, you know, it, it's a blessing and going and looking at it now to embrace our life experiences because ultimately it leads us to help and lead others into healing and wholeness. Exactly. Yeah. And like you were saying that the, you had kind of a distaste because of had, you know, in that time, that moment, always moving and being in different situations and being kind of the odd man out, you know, at the time it feels like that, but you're really building that spiritual DNA, you know, that God's prepping you because he's like, I'm, he, you don't know it yet, but I'm going to use this for you right. to, like you said, you know, back to the word reconciliation. I'm going to yeah. use this to help you help other people reconcile. And in the process, you're going to come to terms with it and really appreciate, you know, the story and the picture that I've painted with your, your, you know, your past and your upbringing. Yeah. And Absolutely. I think like I see it a lot and I, you know, talking to different people, I feel like people don't embrace their story enough. I feel like there's kind of this weak uh, attachment to it. It's like, I've I been there, done that, got the t-shirt. But I believe in been there, done that, and I'm still going to use that to help other people. You know, and it's, it hurts. And it even if it's in your situation, it wasn't necessarily a, a tragic. It was an amazing, you know, experience. So, but in both cases... I feel like people kind of leave their story behind and leave it kind of there where it's at and not use it to help, you know, other people. And so we need this in this time. And who knew, like really who knew we would be circling around this topic in 2023. Right. You know, we think we'd had that ship was sailed, you know, and we're never going to look yeah. back. And then here we are 2023. I mean, one thing can just start a whole fire, you know? So. Absolutely. Um, you said in the beginning of, of our talk, you know, you your your writing project was kind of the home base of how not to portray writing. Are there any other examples that you can think of, if you feel comfortable sharing, where you kind of were put on the spot and that spotlight was put on you, you know, because of your upbringing, your background, and looking back how did you respond to it or it, would you have responded differently to it yeah it's a good question you know um you know one of the reasons we moved around is my dad worked for an aircraft carrier uh, company called uh, boeing mm -hmm. most have heard of it and boeing would lay off quite often like every three years and so you know when we were laid off, when my dad was laid off, we, we went through some really difficult times financially. And so it was, a, it was a roller coaster, you know, and that's where the difficult part of the story is, is, you know, no one wants to move their children around that much or that often, you know, some many times multiple schools in just one school year and living in some very difficult, very humbling places with your children, places you, you wouldn't even want your children to ever see. And so, you know, a lot of times, growing up, you're humiliated, you're embarrassed of your story, you're embarrassed of, you know, what you're dressed like and what you don't have compared to all your friends and what they do have. And, um, 
you know, I was also a child of the 80s. And the reason I say that is you didn't have all the biracial people in the 80s. And so, again, you're looking around like I'm not not only am I embarrassed because like I'm poor and we move around. I'm always the new kid and I don't have anybody to play with at recess and no one's sitting with me at lunch and no one's talking to me. You know, you already have those insecurities. And I'm a girl and I'm a girl of color. Um, I also don't look like anyone. And they didn't have mixed chick hair products like they do now. They have all kinds of amazing hair products for curly and kinky and cultural and, and curly and textured hair. Well, they didn't have that back in the 80s. <laughs> and you know, my mom was, my mom is white. My mom used, you know, 80s big rave hairspray. And my dad had a Jericho activator, you know, in the early 80s. And so literally I was making my own hair products because they didn't exist in the stores. Wow. And so when you your identity, you're not only are you you know, maybe embarrassed or ashamed of just being the new kid or being the poor kid or being the girl or being the, the poor girl of color. You're also the kid that, you know, you don't even have hair. The stores don't even make hair products for you. And no one understands how to do big, crazy biracial hair, you know? And so you're trying to make your own hair products. And there were times where we were using conditioner and lotion to literally create our own hair products so our hair wouldn't be all over the place. <laughs> and so, you know, it's, yeah, exactly. That's and so, I, you know, it's crazy and we laugh about it now. And so, you know, it's overcoming, you know, really the lie that you believe about yourself growing up, you know, and at that time too, you know, on school forms and work forms, you, when you would go to put your race, your options really were black, white and Hispanic, um, maybe. And so you couldn't put white, you couldn't choose both in essence. And my mom every year would choose both because it was, my parents really fought for us to embrace that we were both. We weren't one or the other. And the reality is in America, if you have, you know, I think there was the one sixteenth drop of black blood rule, something like that. And if you had any ounce of black blood in you, then you were defined as black. And so she would fill out our school forms, black and white. Every time they'd come back black, 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 black every year. And it was as if society was trying to force us to say, you're not white, you're not biracial, you are black. Mm. Say you're black, believe you're black, deny your, in essence, deny your white mother, your white heritage. And so we had to fight to stand, to say, I, I, I embrace both and all that I am. I embrace my white heritage and culture and I embrace my black cult culture and I'm, I'm proud of mm -hmm. both of them and I have to fight for being that versus accepting that I'm only one. And, and it happens often with biracial people or children is that you tend to lean to one culture or the other, uh, you know, in multiple cultures. And so it's rarer for someone who's biracial to say, I'm both and I stand on being both and I'm proud of being both and I'm not one or the other. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, this is who God created me to Yes, right? Right. And um, that that's part of the story, too, of having overcome that and seeing, again, how the Lord could ultimately use that in this place now where people feel like they do have to pick one side or the other or they are choosing one side or the other. And here I am, you know, standing in the gap, you know, like, the you know, in the middle of the breach saying, you know, choose each other, not just yourself. Walk across the bridge. You know, choose to walk across the bridge. Right. Mm. I believe that. Do you do you, you think maybe that people might choose one or the other because there's so much heavy influence maybe in one race 
let's say, you know, they choose I'm black, even though you're black and white, you choose the black because it's more talked about. It's more relevant. It's in a lack of a better term, it's more popular or definitely, you know, it's encouraged by the culture itself. You know, I think too, that, um, you know, it's easy. I think society, it probably accepts me easier as saying that I'm black because I have, my skin has colored, my hair is textured, you know, um, but that's interesting, right? Like why not, why not accept me as easily as say that I was white? Exactly. Why not? Why not? <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, and uh, I, I think I find that even if my friends who are half white and half Korean, I think, you know, I think same situation is, you know, they tend to lean towards the Korean, you know, um, culture, or if it was half white, half Hispanic, they'd lean towards the Hispanic culture. It's just very interesting, you know, overall, historically, and, you know, history books and, you know, why that is. There's a lot of things that play into that. But ultimately, when you're biracial, you may find yourself in a situation that you can identify with the struggles with the culture that is either maybe more oppressed or underrepresented or, um, um, you know, culturally uh, um, looks like you yeah. with your features, right? right? So there's multiple reasons why you may do that for sure. There's one thing in your, your book I read that I really um, stuck out to me. Uh, a lot of stuff did. But one of the things that you talked about was about um, you went to different churches when, when you had met James and you got married. And you were trying to find different churches and you, you found a lot of churches that were segregated. And then you obviously found Covenant Church. Um, I, I can relate to that one a lot because for a while yeah. we actually went to a church that was predominantly white. Now I want to say yeah. for any listeners, I'm not against white people predominantly white churches at all i love them just the same but it's so um when you first off when you're you're in this color you know skin color that you're in and you're around that you you stick out you know like we've been talking about you you're, you feel very uh -huh. odd you feel uncomfortable you know your insecurities start you know showing itself but i think that if, if jesus came today and he looked around the churches. He he would want a church where there's everybody, you know. There's not just a set, uh, you know, not just a category. He would want a church. I mean, he even says, you know, go into all the world and preach, you know, the gospel. He doesn't say just go over to America, go to the widest town you can find, or go to the, you know, you know, he he. He said, go into all the world, you know? So I believe that yeah. uh, when I read that, I relate to that a lot. And it was so uh, uncomfortable, uh, you know, as a young person being in a church like that, where it's just like, hey, what's your, you know, what are you black? That's literally the question I would get all the time as a kid is, are you black? And I'm like, no. Um, and then they would see my parents and they go, how does that work? I'm like, it's called adoption. <laughs> you know, like, get with it. Um, but yeah. yeah. So I, 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 that part um, really was stuck out to me. And then I, you know, when we started going to Covenant Church, I'm really surprised at all that we even left. And yeah. I still go to Covenant Church this day. My wife and I, we've chosen, I told her, you know, we're going to make that our home church. Um, awesome. Because. It is, you know, it just, yeah. it's so 
culturally diverse. I love going there. You know, my first time going back, I ran into an Indian family and they were talking to me about adoption because they adopted, you know, and they're asking me about my adoption experience. And then, you know, just, just being around the different, uh, yeah. that kind of melting pot of everyone together, all those backgrounds. I think that you could, you know, you really can learn a lot from it. I don't think you can learn as much when you go to one set, you know, you know yeah. church. I mean, that, I think it's just like any corporation, you know, the reason corporations with outside of buzzwords and, you know, trying to be culturally uh, like hip, um, I, you know, diverse, any, any corporation knows it, they're going to, they're going to be more successful with a diverse set of mindsets mm-hmm. and, ex- and experiences. And if everyone they hired was the exact same person, thought the exact same way, had the exact same life experiences or work experience, they're going to, they're not going to be able to solve some really big problems until they bring in different people from different work experiences and different life experiences and different thought patterns and diversity. It's what makes the world better. It's like, the sky is not beautiful when it's only blue, but what about when it's blue and it's purple and it turns mm-hmm. orange and turns that pinky orange when the sun is setting, right? It's like the, the beauty of diversity. And it's the same way with corporations. You know, they're going to be able to find solutions to problems when people can see it in different angles and different um, issues. And it's the same thing, same way with the church and the beauty of the diversity of worship and the diversity of of worshiping and, and, the, and receiving the message and using the different gifts, right? We know there's a diverse of, of gifts that God gives us, right? Exactly. And so absolutely, that's what we all can appreciate when we walk into a, a house of worship like a Covenant Church of Dallas is that you have that diversity, the array of, you know, all the gifts and how beautiful it is and it works together. And that's, you know, like a well-oiled machine and any any place of employment or place of worship that has just one way of thinking and doing things isn't experiencing the beautiful ray of opportunity and value and um, return on investment, you know, or, you know, opportunity ultimately that, um, you know, the God would want us to have. And so you're right. Um, I think what, if you have a, if you have a diverse family, like myself and my husband, my husband's also biracial. And when we walked into all black churches, we felt like, you know, half our family won't, won't feel welcome here. Um, and then we walked to all black church, all white churches. We felt like half of our family won't feel welcome here. And so, you know, I don't, you, people may not think of that if you don't have family outside of your own culture, you know, as well. And so um, that was important for us to find a church home that, was intentional. And I'll say it that way, because I don't think all churches are segregated intentionally. Right. I just don't think they're integrated intentionally. Mm. I, I think it could be come up to, I mean, we could chalk it up for many reasons. One of the things could be maybe convenience. Um, also, maybe like the leadership, you know, we see a certain person in leadership, we're like, oh, we like that person, even though we might not be getting fed, uh, spiritually or you know maybe we are maybe they are you know um it's just kind of one of those things you have to use the holy spirit and 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 follow the voice of the holy spirit where he's leading you you know i've been in churches that i wish i wish worked out because i loved everybody there but my spiritual life was lacking 
and I wasn't growing and I wasn't really learning. It was more of a checking off a list. I went to church today and I can tell you since I've, since going to covenant and then going back to covenant, um, I can tell you that my spiritual life has hit a, it's not up top, but it definitely has hit a peak where I'm more in tuned, you know, I'm walking more in, you know, just discretion and, you know, there's been a lot of conviction in my life where I went yeah. wrong. And, and, but at the same time, there's so much love. And yeah. I cannot look back at any sermon from anybody that's preached there or anybody that I've interacted with and said that I've had a negative experience. Every experience, whether it was conviction of the Holy Spirit or a sermon, was out of love. And that's just yeah. kind of what it boils down to. Even with, you know, our, you know what we're talking about, it comes to love. You, Absolutely. Choosing to love. And Absolutely. so... Yeah. Absolutely. Hands down. Um, love. One of the questions I had was, um, what is your favorite scripture and, and how do you apply it to your everyday life? Well, this is really hard, Daniel, because, you know, <laughs> I don't know if anybody can have a favorite one. Or you can, but maybe in a season, right? Right. And so there, what I would say right now, the season that I'm in my life right now, and it, it, it it's very similar to what I talked about earlier is um, being in a place where I'm seeking after hearing from the Holy spirit in the Lord at all times of Lord, what is it you want me to do? I tr in obeying him and trusting him and believing him. Right. Right. And so one, the, the scripture that probably sticks out to me right now in this season of my life is Isaiah six, eight. And in essence, it's the Lord saying, who shall I send? Who should we send? He's asking to do, to, you know, to answer the call. And Isaiah says, here I am, send me. Mm. And that can be a really scary thing to say. To hear the Lord. And then when he, we hear him say, go and do this, do something about the situation and say, be in your, your willingness to say, okay, I'll do it. That can be really scary. It's courageous, but it's scary. And it's a faith walk. Mm. And that may be as small as saying, Lord, what's my word for this year? What do you want me to do this year? And he says, I want you to write a book. I could have easily had said, Psh, me write a book. Remember, I'm the girl who got a D minus in English and was made fun of. Ugh, I'm not to write a paper. I'm not writing a book. And then walked out of my room and never answered the call. And look at this amazing assignment that he gave me the opportunity to walk in, right? Because I simply said, here I am, send me. Exactly. It could also be very similar to what you and I just talked about in walking into a church where no one looks like me. And if the Lord has sent me to that church to be the only person that looks like me, then I have to be willing to say, okay, God, I trust you and I believe you and you're doing this for a reason. Because if not me, then who? Mm -hmm. Right? Yeah. Who's going to start? Who's going to start? And if you're calling me to this in this season, and it may be to start a ministry or maybe to, like you said earlier, to use my pain for a purpose. That's scary. And that means I may need some healing in that space of my pain before I can use it to help others. But that is my, um, that's really my, um, my, what, what gives me courage right now and what challenges me and scares me and um, gives me hope is, you know, Abraham standing and saying, here I am. And God's saying, go sacrifice your son. And him obeying and saying, I trust you and I will worship, even though I waited for this promise for 50 years. 
and Moses saying, here I am at the burning bush and look at the call God gave him and Samuel saying, God, here I am. And living, living a life of saying every morning, here I am, send me. I trust you. I will obey you and I will worship you no matter what, no matter the outcome, no matter what it looks like, no matter how difficult it is, I will go and I will trust you and I'll walk it out. That's good. I'm in a, I'm in a moment right now <laughs> where I'm just kind of like, because <laughs> it's, it is very scary. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm thinking of moments in my life where I was like, I don't want to do it. You know, I don't want to. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I've been in jobs where I'm like, why did you put me here? I've been in rooms where I'm like, yeah. why in the world did you put me in this situation? Yeah, this is the worst. And I yeah. just hear that small voice being like, you know, I got you. You know, and, and, and every every time I, I think that I go back to that moment being in the hospital with our son and I'm just like, I didn't ask for this. And yeah. but I I always have to remember, you know, I what wasn't promised that. Yeah. I was promised that he would always be there next to me, he'd always walk beside me, yeah. and he goes before me and he's behind me. Yeah. And yeah. I just I think about that moment. And I remember just that wrestling with God in that time and, and in the future, too, still. Um, and gosh, you know, the, the craziness that he's brought me through. Yeah. Um, I really, you know, I really I'm guilty of just not taking time to really think about it and really saying thank you, even though he knows it's yeah. good to he hears it and, and just the things that he's brought me through that I don't deserve. I don't deserve, you know, anything that he's given me, mm-hmm. but he has. Mm-hmm. And I know where I could be, mm-hmm. but I'm not there. Mm-hmm. I'm here. And I think, you know, people listening to this and listening to your story, you know, if you're there where you don't want to be, you know, there's a day where, you know, I thought I wanted to be here and now I'm here, you know, and I still find myself finding, you know, going, I'm not where I want to be. But at a time in my life, I said, I wanted to be in this moment where I said, God, use me. And he's like, okay. And sometimes it starts in, you know, the, these moments. And I really felt him put on my heart to really, you know, because I like to ask really difficult questions. I really like to tackle challenging moments and tackle to- tackle challenging topics. And, you know, here he is. And yeah. I can tell you 100%, Letitia, this, this isn't me. This is 0% me. And it's 100% him because I would never in a million years <laughs> pick up a phone and say, hey, let me talk to you about something like this. Yeah. Because I would be so scared. Um, yeah. Just like you were saying, yeah. like, you know, I don't know how to write a book. I don't even want to write a book. And here I am, you know. Uh-huh. So this is, I think this is kind of like a, a, a minute, full circle moment for me to really think yeah. about, you know, where he's brought me through and where, where I'm at now. And I kind of want to dovetail that into, you know, I remember 
when I first met you and James, I remember that you know, James spoke a lot of life and positivity in my life when I didn't have it. My, uh, my adopted parents didn't exactly believe in my potential. And, um, but every Sunday when I would see him, he'd be like, you're going to be used one day. God's going to use you one day. And I would just be like, oh, that's great. You know, the typical, I didn't know. I had no idea, but I knew there was something, but he would call it out. You know, it's, it's different when you know something, but then you have somebody that's calling it out of you and telling you all the time. And he did every Sunday would call it out. He'd be like, he's going to, God's going to use you to do something great one day. And, um, I, I have never forgotten it. That's amazing. Do you know he was adopted? Really? He was taken in by his coach wow. at the age of 13. Wow. Yeah. So he has a heart. He has a heart for kids that have walked that same journey he has. He knows how difficult it is. So he probably saw himself in you. Hmm. Well, he wasn't wrong. <laughs> That's for sure. You know, and, and I remember I saw him. I remember the last time I saw him was actually um, I just had gone through separation with Brenda. We, her and I split at a certain point in our uh, marriage. We went through a lot okay. with the loss of our son. And um, I've shared this on the podcast too. So, but um, okay. I, I, I felt a voice tell me to go back to Covenant Church one day. I actually hadn't been going to church that often. I was really in a in a dark place of my relationship with God and my and with my wife. Uh-huh. I felt the Holy Spirit say, "You need to go to Covenant Church," and I did. Uh-huh. And I went to McKinney and I ran into James. Uh-huh. And I was like, "Oh boy!" <laughs> I was like, "I don't want I don't want to hear anything positive. I don't want to hear any of the good stuff." I don't want to hear it because I really can't hear it right now because I don't feel it right now. But yeah, what you're feeling and what the Holy Spirit's calling you to do and what he wants you to hear are two different things. Yeah. And I remember seeing him and, you know, he saw me. He's like, oh, my gosh, how are you? And he started talking to me and I was telling him I basically spilled everything. And he was just like, <laughs> I told him, I was like, I felt a, I felt a voice. Holy Spirit tell me to come to church this morning here. I don't know why I don't even want to be here because, you know, and he was like, he, that's obedience. Wow. He was like, you, you're being obedient. And he said, you need, you, as long as you do that, you know, you'll be okay. Wow. And wow. so I just, I just thought I'd share that with you because the, it still speaks to me today that somebody who was basically a stranger that, you know, at, at first saw mm-hmm. that in me when I didn't see it at all. Not a, not a, well, yeah. even I, not, nothing still saw that. Wow. Wow. Well, you know, you're going to do the exact same thing, Daniel, now that you're a young man and you have your own family and you're going to see that young boy walking across your path and you're going to say, I, I was, I used to be in his shoes. I know what he's walking through right now. And now I can see, I can tell him he's going to be okay. I can tell him he has great things ahead of him because I know what God did for me. And he's exactly. going to do it for that young man too. Exactly. 
Well, um, is there anything that you, final thoughts you want to share? I know we kind of going out heavy, but is there anything that, um, anything, last things you want to say or anything that uh, you feel? Well, you know, I want to say thank you, Dana, for having me on here. It's been such a pleasure just, you know, catching up with you and man, just seeing what you're doing now. I'm just so proud of you and I know James is as well. And I can't wait to share what what you share with me. My, my final thought, what I would share really on this topic of, you know, being a bridge maker and reconciliation is, is this, is seek a conversation, seek to understand before being understood. And how you do that is seek to just simply understand someone else's life experience and their background and share, when you share yours, share your experience, but not your opinion. Mm. Or your, yeah, don't, I almost said your belief, not necessarily your belief, like your religious conviction, but too many times we start conversations like this. Well, I don't believe in X, Y, Z. Well, I don't believe in, and, and we start with these very like polarizing conversations of like, I don't believe in abortion, or I do believe in abortion, or I don't believe you should get divorced, or I do believe you should get divorced. I mean, and right off the bat, you just polarize the conversation and you, and people all make their judgments there and they already decided if they're going to engage with you or not. Yeah. Rather, if you sit down and say, hey, when I was a teenager and I, because of some life experiences, I was put in a bad situation and I ended up being pregnant before I was married and I had, and I made a choice based on my, my, my situation. Someone can understand and have empathy for your life experiences much easier than they do. If you just come out sharing what you think your opinion is. And also it helps you have compassion for other people because here's the, here's the reality, Daniel, you and I may not have the same, wounds but we have we, we both have experienced the same type of pains and my pain of rejection may be from a father your your rejection could be from a spouse or your rejection could be based on the color of your skin right yeah. and it's not the same wound but we know the same pain and if i tell you my story of my of my rejection and you tell me your story of rejection we can have compassion for one another and ultimately that's what uh, bridges people and helps us love one another is because I love my friend Daniel and I hate that he experienced this type of rejection and I love my friend James and Letitia and I hate that they experience this type of pain rather than oh I can't talk to Daniel he started off by telling me how he votes and what he believes in and what he does in his opinion right like that right. We, we never even got to know each other so I say all that to say this share your life experiences and understand other people's life experiences before you start sharing your opinions. Opinions don't matter. Yeah. Right. Life experiences do. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for doing this. And the book was You're amazing. So Congratulations. And I appreciate that so much. And I, uh, I hope to stay in contact, stay in touch. Yeah. Um, and I'd love for love you that. to come back and, and talk about maybe some different ad because I'm sure we could go all day about uh, this oh, topic. I love it. <laughs> but, well, I'm going to be writing another book soon on on finding your purpose, and it's usually related to your pain. So, oh, you know, perfect. I think we might, we might be back. <laughs> oh, definitely. Well, tell, um, send James my love. Tell him how much I, I, I love will. him and how I'm thinking Absolutely. about him. And, uh, 
thank you again, and uh, God bless you. God bless you, Daniel. Very proud of you. Thank you. Okay. Bye. Talk soon. Bye. Bye. Well, guys, that was Leticia. Um, what an amazing, amazing uh, interview. I'm so glad we got to have that uh, conversation. And I hope you guys enjoyed the episode. If you did, be sure to follow and on Apple Podcasts and Spotify now. Be sure to follow and rate the episode. I hope you guys have a wonderful week. Thank you for joining and listening. I love you. And as always, you're loved. God loves you. And I'll see you next week. Yeah.